Are you ready for a two-hour Final Fantasy VII Remake video? Let's get digitally distracted. Welcome back to Digitally Distracted. I am Game Dave, and today we are going to dive deep into Final Fantasy VII Remake. It needed to happen. It needed to happen. Now, listeners, watchers, you might be saying to yourself, Hey, why isn't this just a video? Why is this not a Game Dave video review? Come on, Dave. You reviewed Final Fantasy XV on your channel. And yes, that's true. Final Fantasy 15 was sort of this return to Final Fantasy for me because I had fell out of love. I had fallen. I had fallen out of love with the Final Fantasy series, at least what was happening with it after Final Fantasy 10. That's sort of where I disappeared from Final Fantasy's good graces. Final Fantasy 11 came out and it was an MMO. I had had experience with the World of Warcraft, and World of Warcraft was good for a time, but I definitely overdid it, and the way that I get sucked into games, an MMO is not something that I should be doing, uh, especially not now, but even back then, I just knew as much as I did play WoW for the short time that I did... I know that a Final Fantasy MMO would kill me. It would be, that would be it. That's all I would do. And there's things with the gameplay style of an MMO that just don't, uh, they don't touch base with my home plate. If you like sports, that's for you. Um, I... I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep doing it with World of Warcraft and I, with Final Fantasy XI. It just um, that's not the Final Fantasy that I fell in love with in the earlier games, which is fine. Now, plenty of people I know love the Final Fantasy MMOs. Obviously, there's Final Fantasy XI and Final Fantasy XIV, which is still very active and going. Uh, then we had Final Fantasy XII, the Zodiac Age, is what they've been releasing it now as with the the sort of Slightly remastered re-release. Uh, Final Fantasy XII on PS2 was another game I just avoided because it was that weird thing of when I miss one, I'm out. When I miss one, I'm out. It's it's hard for me to catch up. You know, I don't. Does that make sense? It's similar to Animal Crossing, like I said in the last episode, how. I missed a day or two, and Animal Crossing feels like it's this thing I do as a daily grind, and missing a couple days or a week puts me in this weird mood, and I can't get back. I just can't get back, and I'm hoping uh, that uh, maybe I'll learn to deal with that, but for now, <laughs> that's sort of how it is, and 
So I stayed away from 12, and I was still having that weird mindset that I still have to this day of, I like to be able to name the main character. I know you're tired of hearing it, but I'm going to say it. I love to name the main character when I play a Final Fantasy game, or any role-playing game for that matter. And 12, of course, was the first mainline game where you couldn't do that. Even in Final Fantasy X, you could name Tidus. Even though it had voice acting, they just referred to him outside of his name. So, because you don't have conversations that way. You're not constantly saying a person's name in conversation. So you didn't need it. Uh, so you could name it and just have it be what it was. Even though Oren is the best Final Fantasy X character, hands down, in my opinion. Um, Final Fantasy X too. Wow. Uh, really a disappointment to me. If you like it, that's great. But for me, it was disappointing because of the way Yuna was sort of interpreted in that game. And this weird... She was so strong in 10 and was this... Uh, I said in a recent podcast I was on, Still Loading, check that out, the Still Loading podcast, we were talking about Final Fantasy X, and I mentioned that to me, Final Fantasy X's story is really Yuna's story, and you're watching Yuna's story unfold as Titus, and she's really, I mean, she's the one bringing it. She's the one doing all the real heavy lifting in Final Fantasy X, and for X-2 to sort of take away that high summoner aspect of her life maybe that's what she wanted i don't know but it it just didn't mesh with me and i was done i didn't finish 10-2 i stopped i still have the save game where i stopped maybe that would be a fun thing to do if and when i get back to streaming live maybe we do a live stream where like where i sort of revisit final fantasy 10-2 from where i left off on my original PlayStation 2 memory card, because I've got it. Despite there being the Final Fantasy X, X2 HD remaster out there, it would, it would be nice to take a look at that through the original format and platform of the PlayStation 2. Um, Final Fantasy XIII, same situation. Stayed away. Um, not that you were naming any characters there either. And, of course, I've heard it's a very linear experience, not one I've experienced 14 MMO, and then 15, I just did it. I was like, you know what? I really like the PlayStation 4. Let's do it. I'm going to give it a shot, and I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Final Fantasy 15. It was messy, as my title for that uh, review was on the channel, Final Fantasy 15, a glorious mess, because it was messy. There were some things that weren't right, which have since changed, and I don't know how I feel about that either, changing the, the structure of a game after the fact, like, people can't really experience some of those chapters the way that I did, because I played it before those changes happened to uh, one of the ending chapters, but that's not what this Digitally Distracted is about. We're focused on Final Fantasy VII Remake, and it is, it is a game that I intended to review as a standalone edited video, and as I continued to play it, I just knew it wasn't gonna happen that way, because it's such a big game, and I I was running into a similar situation that I did with Final Fantasy XV. It was a long time before my review for XV came out. I can't, it's difficult for me to review something new quickly, 
you know? It's tough. You can't just... And I get it. Some people do the first look thing. Maybe that's something I should do in the future with newer releases that I that I latch on to is, you know, play a good chunk of it and then give my impressions. So maybe not so much a review, a full review, but my impressions on my experience with the game. Maybe that's something people would be interested in. I don't know. I know for me, I want to share every opinion and every aspect of the game from start to finish. And that's, uh, you know, some people don't like the way that I handle that when it comes to, say, Fami Corner, um, where I show you the whole game for the most part from start to finish. Maybe you don't want to be spoiled, but I think it's sort of expected that that's what you're going to get in a Fami Corner episode. So as I start to talk about those games, if they look interesting, stop and play it if you don't want to be spoiled. Um, it's a lot harder to spoil um, old games than, or, or it's less, I'd say it's less painful to someone if you spoil a game on the NES or the Famicom compared to a game that just came out on the PlayStation 4 because games now are so much more focused on story and stories can be expanded and characters can be expanded in ways that games on the Famicom and the, Famicom and the NES really couldn't be. So that's that's sort of where I deal with that. But a game like Final Fantasy XV, it was a pretty intense review. Deep. Went a long way. And I didn't spoil a lot in that game, but I talked about a lot of that game. So that's the warning. This is going to be very spoilery. This is going to have a lot of spoilers for Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII Remake. So if somehow you still want to... Uh, <laughs> or still haven't experienced those games for the first time, you don't know what happens, and you don't want it to be spoiled, this is not the digitally distracted episode for you. But if you've, if you've been there, or you know enough, or you're not worried about the story spoilers, stick around, because we're going to get into some of those as we go. So I said this is going to be a deep dive into Final Fantasy VII Remake, and really what that I mean is it's a digitally distracted discussion, because I, I feel like... It, you know what? I don't want to do a review. I don't think I want to review Final Fantasy VII Remake. At least, not right now. Because, one, I'd have to do the whole game. And I captured my entire gameplay from start to finish. And then from start to finish again because I played it on normal. And when you complete Final Fantasy VII Remake on normal... You can kind of new game plus it, which is called chapter select, and you can restart the game from the beginning on hard mode, which is much more difficult. You can't uh, heal uh, and restore your magic points in between battles. Uh, it only happens, I think, between chapters. You can't sit on a bench and rest and heal your MP, only your HP. So you have to be much more conservative with your materia use and it's materia is pretty important uh, that's something i really liked about final fantasy 7 remake is how necessary magic and abilities were and the materia was in final fantasy 7 remake you had to use materia and you had to use materia very well very strategically to deal with some of the bosses in the games and even some of just the standard enemies uh, you could easily get yourself destroyed and game overed if you didn't prepare material wise magic wise for a battle 
And that was my big issue with Final Fantasy 15. I really liked Final Fantasy 15. I liked that sort of that that crew of characters, your, your best friends going on these these adventures and uh, sort of finding yourself as well. But the magic system was uh, I didn't like it. It was garbage. I rarely felt the desire to use magic in Final Fantasy XV. And it's hard for me, being a fan of mages, my favorite character class of all time is the Black Mage, always has been since the first game. The Black Mage was my favorite character. So to not have the the interest or the desire to use magic in Final Fantasy XV hurt it hurt me it hurt me deep almost as deep as this dive is into final fantasy 7 remake now I, I may not cover every aspect of the game i'm going to try to do an overview talk about some contentious things that uh maybe contentious feelings that i have for the game but also some really positive things that i got from final fantasy 7 remake like i said the magic system that that was one that really stands out obviously Materia, which are the, you know, imbued magical crystal fragments of the world that you can use to perform abilities like casting fire and lightning and other abilities. The strategic aspect of Materia was there, similar to the original game. Now, it was limited because this is just the first part of the Final Fantasy VII tale, so they couldn't give you everything. You don't have every materia. You're not going to find every materia in part one. We don't know how many parts there are going to be. We'll talk about that later, my prediction for the number of parts. This digitally distracted will not age well. <laughs> it will not age well as time progresses, but I better get it out now uh, before the other parts do get released. Um, Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two is predicted to be 2022, maybe, at the earliest. I know they're in full-on production. You would think it would go faster simply because they have the base of what the game is and how it's working and how the gameplay is and the graphics and the models and everything like that. So you would think it would just be you know, creating new locations and things like that and obviously adding in the materia and summons that were not in the first part. So... Background before I get more into the good of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Yes, it's a remake of the original Final Fantasy VII on the Sony PlayStation. It was the system seller of its time. I mean, the television commercials for Final Fantasy VII were nuts. They were intense. Final Fantasy was a beloved series, but I think Final Fantasy VII is the game that made Final Fantasy a mainstream series. So many people talked about it. So many people played Final Fantasy VII that were not RPG aficionados. And Final Fantasy VII is due a lot of credit. It is not overrated. Final Fantasy VII is not overrated, period. Uh, it is fantastic. Uh, aging doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how well or how not well something has aged. That is irrelevant because you have to look at things in the time that they were presented. So to say, oh man, I can't even go back to Final Fantasy VII, can't even look at it. You're looking at it with someone else's peepers. The wrong peepers 
are looking at it if you're saying that because you have to focus on the game in the time to appreciate it. Even going back to PS2, it's some people may have difficulty appreciating the PlayStation 2, people that weren't there at the time. Not everybody. There, there's plenty of people who have gone back to older consoles before their time. I've done the same, and I can appreciate the things that seem dated or should seem dated to me. You, ha- you have to put yourself in that mindset. What's the year? What's the era that this came out? And you, you have to have that scope around it, you know? So Final Fantasy VII to me was major. It was huge. It was a game changer. Final Fantasy VII was my first role-playing game on the PlayStation. Prior to that, my, my most intense plays of Final Fantasy um, would be the NES game. Final Fantasy 1 on NES was the one I played the most prior to Final Fantasy 7. That's a crazy jump, I know. Final Fantasy 1 to 7? Bizarre. A lot of people, 7 is their entry point. For me, it was Final Fantasy 1 on the NES. Uh, It was one of the first games I got. It was my first ever role-playing game was Final Fantasy on the NES. First experience ever. My second ever RPG experience on the NES was Ultima Exodus, the NES version of Ultima Exodus. Um, And my third ever RPG experience on the NES was Dragon Warrior, Dragon Quest. And Dragon Warrior didn't quite, it rubbed me the wrong way compared to Final Fantasy. There was something about it that just didn't hit with me. Um, I borrowed it from a friend, tried it out, The NES was already kind of old news by this point, and I had never experienced the Dragon Warrior games. And, uh, you know, I'm starting out fighting slimes. I'm like, okay, similar to Final Fantasy, but I kind of got in this Final Fantasy mode. And this is something I mentioned to friend of the show, the 8-bit Duke. Uh, Duke is a huge Dragon Quest fan. He's one of the biggest Dragon Quest fans I know. And I give him credit for that. He is very knowledgeable on Dragon Quest and the series. Um, he is he is like I am with Final Fantasy and Suikoden when it comes to Dragon Quest. He's got merch. He's got, you know, the Japanese versions of the games just because. You know, I think he may have every version of Dragon Quest that's been released. Every port, even. I mean, the guy's playing it on his cell phone. He gets it. That's his game series. It didn't, didn't play well for me. That's something that maybe he and I could talk about. On a future Digitally Distracted, get ready, Duke, for your guest appearance. Final Fantasy 1. Then, my second experience with Final Fantasy was 4, a.k.a. 2 in America at the time, Final Fantasy 2 on the Super Nintendo. Um, a friend of mine had it, and I would watch him play it, and I would experience it a little bit. I played a little bit. I was like, this is so familiar to me. It, it felt like the natural evolution of Final Fantasy. And to me, at the time, that was the second game. I did not know about the real two, the real three on the Famicom at the time. And Final Fantasy three on Super Nintendo, which, of course, Final Fantasy six. I saw even less of that and had less chance to play it, less of a chance to play it. Then seven comes around. And 7 reinvigorates Final Fantasy for me in a way that I I could not have been prepared for. And 7 led to 
things like Final Fantasy Anthology, which was the first ever release of Final Fantasy V in America. The Super Nintendo game. Final Fantasy V, what? How do you go from 1, 2, 3 to 7? <laughs> because the real 2 and 3 were on Famicom. 4, 5, and 6 were on the Super Famicom. With Anthology and then also uh, Chronicles, Final Fantasy Chronicles, we got these ports of the games um, in their proper numbering. Anthology gave us 5 and 6, and I fell in love with Final Fantasy V because a big focus of Final Fantasy V, job classes. I love the job class system in Final Fantasy V. Fantastic game. Galoof is my boy. Rip. Spoilers. Final Fantasy VI was okay. I liked Final Fantasy VI, but it was just okay to me. That's for another video. That's for another video. And then set, and I played them, but again, the PlayStation 1 releases anthology. And then Final Fantasy IV, I experienced fully for the first time with Final Fantasy Chronicles, which was a collection on the PlayStation of Final Fantasy IV, and Chrono Trigger which was my first experience playing Chrono Trigger. I played Chrono Cross first, which I loved. I am still in love with Chrono Cross. Fantastic game, one of my favorites of all time. And then I went back and played Trigger. I prefer Chrono Cross. Sorry, maybe it's because I played Chrono Cross first. Maybe it's because I have this affinity for PlayStation 1 RPGs compared to 16-bit, 8-bit RPGs. That could be a big part of it, but PlayStation RPGs are generally my go-tos in the genre because I think the original PlayStation had the the cream of the crop, the best of role-playing games on that original PlayStation. And that's something I also want to visit perhaps on live stream because there's some RPGs I'd like to share with you that maybe wouldn't be a video. Maybe they'd be something that I could stream. So that, that's something I want to uh, look into doing, going through some more obscure PlayStation 1 RPGs with you in the future. So keep your eyes peeled and your butts peeled for that in the future. Final Fantasy VII was something that uh, made me obsessed with role-playing games. All I wanted to play after Final Fantasy VII on PlayStation was role-playing games. That's it. That's the only genre I cared about at the time. Sure, games were sprinkled in. I was playing Cool Borders that my grandmother got me for Christmas. <laughs> I, I liked it. Tony Hawk, of course, we got the Tony Hawk 1 and 2 combo pack that came out, remaster. Looks amazing. Can't wait to play it. I was obsessed with Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. The first two games especially. And it kind of teetered off after that. 1 and 2 were the ones I played the most of. Fantastic games. So outside of RPGs, Tony Hawk was there. It was there for me. And uh, Mega Man Legends. But again, Mega Man Legends kind of feels like an adventure RPG-ish thing. Kind of. Maybe a little RPG-ish. Mega Man Legends 1 and 2 were uh, other favorites. So I always leaned heavily into role-playing games from that point forward. Because Final Fantasy VII, uh, I loved it. And I was like, I want more of this. I want more of this. I want turn-based combat. I want levels. I want experience. I want magic. I want medieval fantasy, even though Final Fantasy VII is less medieval fantasy than your traditional assumption of what medieval fantasy is. 
that started with the original Final Fantasy or Dragon Quest. Dragon Quest is a great example of consistency in in a game series because it continues to be medieval fantasy and it is the same thing every time <laughs> to an extent. And uh, I respect that. Some people like something new every time, but I I highly respect what Dragon Quest does with each entry in the, in the series. I really do. The characters of Final Fantasy VII are real to me. Um, some of them are optional that you can pick up along your journey. Uh, some of the party members you don't you could skip them. I missed. I missed. I believe I missed Vincent my first playthrough. I think I, I restarted the game when I realized there was this character I'd missed. Yuffie, however. I discovered the way you're supposed to discover Yuffie. And at the time, I called her Yuffie. I didn't know. There was no voice acting. So I called her Yuffie. <laughs> but Yuffie, I was in that that area where she shows up. Um, I actually have a world map right here. Yes, I'm cheating. Um, let's see. Where was that? So Yuffie shows up. In a, I know it's in the in the brush, in a bush, um, on your way to Junon. Uh, in between Junon and Fort Condor. That's right. Okay. And there's, there's some bushes, and if you randomly encounter her, there's a chance that you can you can recruit her into your party uh, if you you know make the right dialogue choices. And I came across her. I was walking through some of the bush, and there she was. This this mysterious ninja appears. And I didn't know what to expect because I was playing Final Fantasy VII blind. I didn't have the strategy guide at the time. Um, that's something that sort of came later where I really got into using strategy guides with my RPGs. I'll play it blind and then I'll go back and do everything I can using a strategy guide. Um, some strategy guides are better than others. Not each is created equally. And that was so cool to find out, wait, this is not just some new enemy type that I've randomly come across in this random battle encounter in the bush. No, it it's a new party member. And uh, this, this story of, <laughs> you know, she steals your materia in the game and you got to, it, it is worth picking her up. Don't miss Yuffie. And same with Vincent, who uh, became one of my favorite Final Fantasy characters of all time. I mean, the boy even got his own game, Dirge of Cerberus, for the PlayStation 2, which I have not completed. It is sort of a third-person shooter game, and that is something that, again, it's not an RPG. So. It fills in some gaps, though. It's probably worth getting in there. So the characters of Final Fantasy VII mattered to me. The story mattered to me. And I'll admit, my first playthroughs, playthroughs, because I've probably replayed Final Fantasy VII from start to finish um, four or five times. Four or five times. The first two times I played um, and had to start over because memory card corruption. For my PS1 originals out there, mayhaps you experienced memory card corruption the way game dave did little gamer david experienced memory card corruption on two occasions uh, on both of those occasions final fantasy 7 was a victim fell victim to the corruption 
And I remember the anger that I felt when losing my Final Fantasy VII save twice. Twice. The anger I felt was the same anger that you feel and fear that you feel when you start your desktop computer and you get a hard drive error. Losing those memory cards and the data on them was like a hard drive failing and you lose everything on your hard drive. And these are just a couple of games I lost, but it felt so horrible to lose that data because to me, that was part of my life. The hours playing these games and these RPGs and specifically Final Fantasy VII hours and hours and hours you know you can go through Final Fantasy 7 in 40 hours probably but I'm a clock runner outer <laughs> technical term I'm a clock runner outer I max the clocks if the clock maxes in an RPG I've probably seen it 999959 <laughs> and that's where my current Final Fantasy 7 save is the last time I played it that's where it is and I, um, you know, Final Fantasy VII is a game that I wanted to uncover every little tidbit I could. I crafted my own strategy guide compilation. So I had the official strategy guide, which is an okay guide. Final Fantasy VII's original strategy guide and official strategy guide is imperfect. It does not give you everything. Whether that was on purpose or was just the fault of the writer, I don't know. But there's things that there's some things that are wrong in that guide, and there are some things that are left out. So using the earlier world of the internet, I was able to print out and craft my own collection of guides, FAQs, um, tricks, secrets, and I still have that folder to this day. This and it's in a green folder and it's got a bulleted list of the different items i have i have several pages on chocobo breeding different scenarios with chocobo breeding and you know tricks to get to to materia early um, dealing with enemy skill the enemy skill materia where you have to be hit by an enemy's ability to learn that ability and there are enemies that don't appear later in Final Fantasy. So if you or Final Fantasy 7, if you don't inter interact with that particular enemy and get hit by that particular effect or attack with the character that has the enemy skill materia attached, you will never get that ability. I believe Aqualung is one of them. Correct me if I'm wrong, chat. And by chat, I mean the comments, because this is not live yet. That's something we can discuss in the future. Live digitally distracted? What? Live interaction? Mayhaps that will happen. Aqualung from Genova, I believe that is one of the abilities you have to get from Genova. I don't think you can get it later. So Final Fantasy VII is important. There's a lot of memories there. I have not played the original Final Fantasy VII in many, many, many years. And by played, I mean start to finish. 
I've picked it up and looked at my save where I'm at. I've tinkered with things. I've captured a couple things from my current save, but I have not replayed it from start to finish in many years. Probably 10 years. I'd say that's that's an accurate number. Probably been at least 10 years. A decade since I've completed Final Fantasy VII from start to finish. But it still is in my mind. It's there. So when Final Fantasy VII Remake was announced officially, officially, not a tease, not a tech demo for PlayStation 3, officially announced that it was happening, I, of course, was excited. I was giddy. But I was cautiously optimistic. Because... It is a different time. This is not 1997. This is 2020. And the way games are perceived is different. The way RPGs are played is different for the modern gamer, if we want to call them that. So I was understandably nervous about what they might do to what I would call my Final Fantasy 7 because you have to take ownership of your experiences in video games now it's going to get silly and serious here because it's silly maybe to some people the way that us in this community respond to games the way we experience them just using the word experience uh, someone who may not have the same attachment emotionally to a video game that we do, that you and I have, they may see that as silly. What do you mean it's an experience for you? I played Call of Duty the other day. What do you mean it was an experience? I, I have friends that are not uh, as deep into gaming. Uh, they could live without it. And... I would still say they're gamers because it's that thing of what's a gamer? If you play a game on whatever platform, then you're a gamer in my mind. But there's levels. And when you look at something seriously that other people don't see as important or serious, that's a different level of fandom or geekdom or interest or part of who you are and for me that's what these kinds of games are um, good friend of the show always got to reference friends of the show Noptop has pushed me on this about how some of the you know ways that us in this community and you watching and listening how you respond and react to games and how you feel about them how it's so serious. And he's like, the way some people talk about video games, new or old, is so serious. It's just a game, right? And, you know, he's not involved in the same way. I get it. Uh, but it, he doesn't understand what you and I understand, maybe. And it's a shame because it's a world that People can have these experiences with movies, these emotional connections, but to have those in a game is so much different. It's so much more 
because you're involved. And like I said earlier, you are taking ownership of what happened, the time that you spent in that game, the story. Now, maybe that's not the case for Tetris. Maybe that's not the case for a multiplayer online shooter. And that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're talking about role-playing games. The focus in a role-playing game is the story. You can't have a first-person shooter be successful if it doesn't have gameplay that, that kicks, that kicks just right. The story can be hot garbage in an online shooting game, and you'll still play it. You'll still love it, those of you who are into those games. If the gameplay is terrible and the story is amazing, probably not going to pick that shooter up. But a role-playing game has a chance to hit you in a way that a normal game for gameplay's sake won't. I can bear bad gameplay for an amazing story. And that's where the experience, the word experience comes from when it comes to these types of games for me. Um, sorry to get so deep and serious. Good Lord, sweet buttery Jesus.com. Uh, let me buy that domain immediately. That was, sorry. I just, we are passionate about this stuff. You know that. And I, I care about these things. So Final Fantasy VII Remake is announced. It's coming. I mentally prepare. The demo comes out. I did a video talking about the demo. I was excited. The demo covered the, the first beginnings of the game. And the game made it to me a little bit later than intended due to the shipping issues with uh, the COVID. And here we are. I beat it twice, once on normal, once on hard. It, Final Fantasy VII Remake is one of the few games I've platinumed. I platinumed it. I felt I needed to do it. It's Final Fantasy VII again. <laughs> what if that was the... What if that's what they called Final Fantasy VII Remake? Final Fantasy VII again. And of course it's come out that Final Fantasy VII Remake... You know, the hint early on was, I think they, they said that players will better understand why Final Fantasy VII Remake is called Remake. It's not a remake in the sense that, oh, this is a remake of FF7. Remake means more, and that points to the story, which is divisive, to say the least, among fans and non-fans, perhaps, which we will discuss later. So obviously I love Final Fantasy VII, despite some clunks, some glitches, some weird translation issues, it's still a great, great game, and one of my favorite games of all time. Final Fantasy VII Remake did a lot of things that are great. The characters, they got them right. To me, Final Fantasy VII Remake presented the characters in a realized way that the PlayStation could not due to technical limitations. And the way that I can confirm that for myself, the original Final Fantasy VII, of course, you could select your party. 
Um, it's rare that you are forced into specific party members, whereas Final Fantasy VII Remake, you don't have choice. You don't have much choice over who is in your party in a particular part of the story as the game progresses. You're kind of like, no, you are with Barrett and Tifa right now. Nope, you are with Aerith right now. And the original, everyone sort of focuses on a couple of characters. That, that just happens in a role-playing game when there's a limit to your party and more characters than can fit in said party. For Final Fantasy VII and most Final Fantasy games, you can have a party of three people. And those, or four, three or four, it just depends. But in seven, it's three. And my go-to team was, by the end, Cloud, duh, or Dave, as he was known in my game, Red 13, who I still love to this day, and Vincent Valentine, the optional character that you could pick up in Nibelheim in a coffin under the mansion. <laughs> what a weird optional pickup. This vampiric looking fella with his gold claw. Vincent, of course, not in Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1. Red 13 makes a minor appearance in Final Fantasy VII Remake towards the end of the game, the final chapters. And he's awesome. And the whole start of this was the characters. Tifa was okay to me in the original Final Fantasy VII. Aerith was fine to me in the original Final Fantasy VII. I was not as drawn to them as characters when I played Final Fantasy VII originally. If I were to go back and play Final Fantasy VII now, I think my party members would look a lot different than they did in the past and who that sort of final party would end up being, I think I would rotate them out more because Final Fantasy VII Remake has given me more appreciation for the characters, the main characters of Final Fantasy VII. And I've only spent time, more time, with Barrett, Aerith, and Tifa because you, you are in Midgar much, much longer than you were in the original. Final Fantasy Remake, I have over 100 hours in. I beat Final Fantasy VII in its entirety in 100 hours. So to look at just Midgar with these characters, I think it was inevitable that I was going to get closer with them. Vincent's not here yet. Yuffie's not here yet. Red 13 was barely there. So it's like you have no choice but to get to know these characters and make connections with them. And that's sort of what happened. And Tifa sort of became my favorite character in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Um, outside of, you know, Cloud, of course. But Cloud was kind of annoying. He's kind of kind of a jerk. And I get that's how he was in the original, but it when the game is so much more realistic and the characters are fleshed out and, and presented like they are real people, the impact of the way they talk to each other hits so much harder. Whereas in the original Final Fantasy VII, you're reading the text of these characters and it's almost funny. These blocky representations of characters saying things like, once this job is done, I'm out of here. I don't care about you guys. 
I'm just here for the money, here to get paid. It's like, oh, Cloud. But in Final Fantasy VII Remake, you see the way that his words impact the other characters, especially Barrett. And Barrett is another character that I love in Final Fantasy VII Remake. He is perfect. He is perfect. From the voice acting perspective to the way he speaks, it is the PlayStation 1 Barrett fully realized in Final Fantasy VII Remake. He is so perfect. Hear the cries of the planet. He is an eco-terrorist. He's performing terrorism because he wants to save the planet and he is he is sincere and genuine. He is what you see is what you get. Yes, he's brash and maybe that brashness is hiding a little bit of, of a sensitivity that Barrett has, but that's the thing. Barrett shows his sensitivity in an angry way. Like he'll tell you how much he cares about this planet and how upset he is about how people are hurting it. And that's an emotional thing to say, but because it's Barrett, it comes off as this rough, gruff thing. Um, he's the ultimate hippie, the most B.A. hippie on the planet that he wants to save. Barrett, amazing. Tifa, amazing. And then a crazy surprise for me, I, I was not connected to Aerith at all. And Eris is how I first knew her, because in the original game, that's how her name was spelled. Eris. They didn't call her Aerith. And she, I think, mattered more to me in the original. In this game, there was something off-putting about her. Was that intentional? I don't know. But her personality, the performance, and the character was great. But her personality was not something I was drawn to um, as someone that I wanted to have Cloud spend time with in the game. And I don't know if it's because she knows more than she lets on and you as the player are aware of that, even though Cloud may not be. You're aware that Aerith knows more than she's letting on about what their fate is going to be in Final Fantasy VII Remake. And I think that that put a disconnect out there where I felt that she was not someone Cloud could relate to, that Cloud could have a relationship with because that's like the big thing of the original is this weird triangle of Cloud, Tifa, and and Eris. And... It's, it's this weird thing of the original where who, who does Cloud go on the date with at the Gold Saucer? And there was a chance you might go on a date with Tifa. You might end up on a date with Aerith or Eris. You might end up on a date with Barrett if you sort of ignore the other two completely. And there's an element of that in Final Fantasy VII Remake with, with a conversation that happens in... Um, uh, outside Aerith's home at night where um, you can have a conversation, a, a, a sort of late night conversation where you run out and you hear something outside. And depending on who you've sort of, you know, hitched your wagon to, that person will greet you outside and you'll have this extra bit of story with them. And it could be Tifa 
Aerith or Barret. And there is sort of a point system in that. Um, and naturally, I don't know naturally who I would have ran into. I, I have a feeling it would have been Tifa. Um, if I completely focus on the choices that I would naturally make based on Cloud's experiences in the game because there's some dialogue things where you choose answers to things that affect sort of your friendship level with Aerith, Tifa, and Barrett, and that sort of determines which one you run into. Now, I've seen two of the three. When I went back through and played the game again, I saw Aerith's reaction. My first time, I saw a meeting with Tifa, and that's the one that felt right to me. Uh, so for me, that's canon. <laughs> that that I ran into Tifa out there. Um, the Tifa's voice actor again, fantastic. Um, she's she's in the show Glow, and she just knocked it out of the park. She is just what. Uh, that is Tifa going forward. That is Tifa for me. She is the Tifa. Uh, yeah, so I think Tifa would be a big part of my party in the return to Final Fantasy VII, which is crazy to think like how much I ignored her. Because she she just puts up with so much crap from Cloud in the original game. She does so much for him. In this game, she's a little stronger. She's kind of a little more independent um, from Cloud, though she still wants him around. It just comes off differently in this game. And yeah, Tifa, man, she deserves respect as a character. Um, and again, Aerith is kind of just doing her own thing. Um, it felt a little forced, their little hop hop across the slums that they do um, when you meet up with each other. Um, when Cloud first meets Aerith and you're, you're having this, this, this long hallway, uh, <laughs> and by hallway I mean rooftop, the rooftop uh, travels that you do to get to the slums or to her sector of the town. And a lot of the conversation felt uh, odd. Um, not from Cloud, but from her, where it felt forced, like they were trying to say, hey, Cloud and Aerith, right? You know, they're kind of friendly, right? And it didn't sit well with me. I didn't like that. That was part of the bad. That was not a good. That was a bad for me. But what they did with Tifa and Cloud was so good. They nailed it. And then enter Jesse. Oh, Jesse. Jesse. Jesse, you surprised me. Early on, I was very disappointed to see how much FaceTime Jesse was getting in the trailers. I was like, what is Jesse doing on the rear of Cloud? And by the rear, I mean of his bike. Why is Jesse on a bike with Cloud? It didn't make sense to me. Now it makes sense to me because I know where that falls into the timeline. And I was kind of like, look, we've already got Tifa, Aerith, and Cloud with their triangle. And now you're throwing Jesse in there. And exactly as predicted, that is exactly what they did. I said it's going to be a, a, a love square. And it kind of was. We're getting into spoilers from this point forward. Uh, we are almost an hour in, and I apologize. Like I said, deep dive. Jesse became this sort of tertiary, big words, big guy, big words, tertiary relationship story. 
And man, I felt for her story so much. I loved Jessie. She was just spunky and hilarious. She messed with Cloud in a way that he needed to be messed with. And he could never, he never knew. Is she joking with me? Is she flirting with me? And then Biggs and Wedge would say things that, oh, that's just how Jessie is. She's just, that's her personality. But then Cloud would second guess it and be like, I don't know. I think she wants to, I think she wants to go on a date with me or something. Like she, and I, and unfortunately, spoilers, she dies, which I said in my discussion early on, looking at the trailer and demo, that it's inevitable, or so I thought, Jesse will die. All of Avalanche will die because the plate, the sector plate, is dropped on your crew. You, Tifa, Barrett are spared in the original, but Jesse, Biggs, Wedge, they are they are dead. And it is a major, emotional, impactful thing in the original. And I'm playing the game, and I'm getting to this plate. The plate is being attacked. Shinra is going to make the plate fall on the poor slum people and blame it on Avalanche. And sure enough, you're climbing. And there she is. Moments away from death after all of these conversations. And I knew it was coming and it made me so mad because I liked her so much. So much more. In the original game, she's just sort of there. She's She has some little moments. But it's not as expanded as it is in Final Fantasy VII Remake. And she is dying in front of you. It's not an off-screen death like the original where you see the plate fall. She dies in Cloud's arms think about that ouch and she's oh man I'm furious about the way that was handled not because it followed the original story I am so glad she got her heyday she got to have that goodbye with Cloud that is amazing Biggs and Wedge both survive. It is implied that Biggs and Wedge survive at the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake Part One. The story is changing, and that was the first time in my playing of the game that I got it, that I knew that's what was happening. And we'll talk more about that later. It felt real. Final Fantasy VII Remake felt real. The characters mattered to me. I got emotional. Huh? I know I may not be the most masculine man on the planet. So it's like, well, yeah, of course you got emotional. But I, generally speaking, do not get emotional about modern games. Some of the old PlayStation RPG stories would get me. Suikoden, great example. Suikoden 2. You got me. Still thinking about the moments in those games will get me. But not. Dragon Quest Builders 2 ain't gonna get me. (laughs) Final Fantasy 15 was one of the first to kind of get me. The ending of Final Fantasy 15 
kind of got me. It got me early. Even before the ending, it got me. With Noctis's sort of transition. The time jump in Final Fantasy XV got me. When I realized what was going to happen. And man, it is it was good. But it did not get me the way Final Fantasy VII Remake got me. Son of a gun. Final Fantasy VII Remake got me good. And to think, I not in a million Final Fantasies would I have thought that Jesse's death would be one of the things to get me. You want to talk about Aerith dying in the original, slayed by Sephiroth, run through with Masamune. And how impactful that was for gamers at the time. For Jesse's death in Final Fantasy VII Remake to hit me harder than Sephiroth's killing of Aerith in the original, that's crazy. A testament to Jesse's voice actor, the writing, and the performance of everybody in the, in the scenes with her. Just blew me away. I could watch Final Fantasy VII Remake as a movie. I could. And it feels like an interactive movie at times. Everything felt real. It was it was great. Uh, the characters, the voice actors, you crushed it. Um, for, for better or for worse. Um, the emotion was there. Um, another thing that's in the good category, the music. Nobuo Uematsu was there. He was sort of supervising the arrangements of his original masterpieces. Final Fantasy VII was the first soundtrack of a Final Fantasy game that I imported officially. Final Fantasy VII, the first. And it would not be the last. I love the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack. It is one of my favorites of all time. The original music is so good. I did indeed pick up the Final Fantasy VII remake soundtrack as well. It is... It's about, it's about what you'd expect. Did it blow me away? No. But it did the job as well as I think it could have. Because the the only thing that could have made the music in Final Fantasy VII Remake better is if it was more like the original. And you just can't do it. You can't have those same sound fonts, those same samples, hit the same way they did on the PlayStation now. There is a sound to Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VIII. There is a sound to those soundtracks. There's something to Final Fantasy VII and VIII soundtracks that hits in a way that none of the other Final Fantasy soundtracks hit. And it's, it's certain samples that just live in that PlayStation 1 era. And it's just perfect, punchy, gritty. It's almost the way that people point out how that's that Genesis, that Sega Genesis sound that is impactful in a way that no other console can create. That's how Final Fantasy VII, VIII soundtracks were for me and still are. And without doing them identically, this is the best you're going to get, and I approve. It's And it's it takes... The Final Fantasy 15 soundtrack style, the way that the, the sounds and the music 
would layer and change depending on where you are in the town. Final Fantasy VII Remake takes that and goes and runs and sprints with it. It expands on it in such such an amazing way. For example, in Final Fantasy XV, if you're on the outskirts of town, the, the theme is the same. But as you move into other parts of the town, layers of the sound change. The theme stays the same, but the style changes a little bit. You go into a certain building, the theme is there, but it may have more layers to it. It may be more full. It may be. It may have more rhythm. The percussion may change slightly, but it's the same melody. And Final Fantasy VII Remake does that in such a great way, especially in the driving moments where battle is impending. So think hurry, hurry faster. These are classic tracks from Final Fantasy VII. And in all those Final Fantasy games in the PlayStation era had those hurry songs. The impending doom song, we gotta get moving song. The driving songs. And the way that those would build as actions happened throughout Final Fantasy VII Remake was great. So good. You're getting closer to a battle and the the music doesn't just go into straight up battle music. It builds on that hurry music. So you have really a wide range of different battle themes. You don't have battle music and boss battle music and then extreme boss battle music, which is sort of how the originals went. You've got a battle theme that expands into like 10 different themes. The, the music, it's not all Nobuo Uematsu. There's some new tracks in there, but he was involved and they are arrangements of his classics. So the music is as good as it could have been. One more good thing I want to throw in there before we start talking smack is that's how we're going to end it. We're going to end it on a bad note. <laughs> Maybe. I was understandably, at least to me, yes, I understand myself, it's true, I was understandably mad at the classic mode. Final Fantasy VII developers throw out this taste, this trick that, all right, we're going to have a couple modes. You're going to have your normal mode where you control the actions in the middle of battle. It's action RPG-esque, right? Action RPG-esque. And they announced that they're going to release, oh yes, for you, in the, in the game when it comes out, you're going to get classic mode. Classic mode? Turn-based action? I'm going to be able to input things turn-based? Oh, boy. I'm so excited. I need a drink. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Mmm, mmm, mmm. What a refreshing potion that was. But no, classic mode was a farce. Classic mode is not what the fans wanted. At least, I don't think so. Classic mode is a joke. It is nothing more than very easy mode. You've got easy mode where the characters do their own thing until the ATB gauge fills, allowing you to do an attack. And then you you can do like special abilities or cast spells or techniques, use materia, summons sometimes. And otherwise, the game is automatically attacking for you while those gauges build up and you're just sitting there. Now you might say, well, that is turn-based. But it is unnecessary. 
and it's silly and it's slow. Wouldn't you think classic mode's easiness would make it move faster? No. The computer-controlled classic mode in between attacks that you're allowed to give, the actions that you direct, it is like embarrassingly beginner-level attacking. Classic mode is unnecessary. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't exist. Now, I have to give a mad prop, one single prop, (laughs) a mad shout-out to Ganiman. Yes, a loyal game daver, (laughs) we'll call him. He, He said something that didn't hit with me at first in our Discord server. Yes, there is a Game Dave Discord server. If you're interested in that, let me know. And Gunnyman mentioned it is turn-based because I my complaint was it's an action RPG. It's not really turn-based. You're du- you're tucking and dodging and rolling and attacking, and then as the ATB gauge, then it sort of goes into like a super slow mo freeze frame where you can select actions, magic, spells, techniques, special moves. But other than that, you're smashing buttons and doing smaller attacks, countering, parrying, dodging things, running around the map. But Ghani Man said it is turn-based, and he explained it, and he's exactly right. He was right. I was wrong. Final Fantasy VII Remake is a turn-based RPG. Final Fantasy VII Remake is a turn-based RPG. To go back, I'm fine with admitting that I was wrong or admitting that I was misinterpreting what was happening. Final Fantasy VII Remake, I said turn-based is dead. Turn-based RPGs are dead. That's how I felt. But no... Final Fantasy VII Remake evolves the idea of the way turn-based is handled. Because like I just said earlier, in the original, your three party members are sitting and waiting for that ATB gauge to fill. And they're doing exactly what you're doing when you're playing the game. Staring at the ATB gauge and doing nothing. Doing nothing. Why do nothing when you can be doing something? And that's where Final Fantasy VII Remake, it makes sense. It's right. Why have everyone stand and wait for an ATB gauge to fill, especially when you're going for this crazy realistic world? There's a gigantic creature in front of you. You have, say, two party members, and they're just going to stand there and check that bar to make sure it's filling up? No. So you can influence the ATB gauge. The more things you do, dodging, small, weaker attacks on the enemy, that builds your ATB gauge faster. And it uh, then allows you to use your strategy to select very specific actions in that frozen, slowed-down time. 
it is turn-based. Ghani man, I salute you and your understanding. Because you're right, and that's how I see it now. And I really loved the combat. I'd say about an hour or two in, I was I was hooked. I enjoyed it. And the thing I liked the most was that you can't run in there guns a-blazing. And in 15, I felt like I could get through pretty much any fight mashing some buttons. There were some strategic things I had to do in Final Fantasy 15, but I could deal with most things guns a-blazing. In Final Fantasy VII Remake, you cannot. There is much more strategy involved in that game. Just do a search for battle strategies and materia combinations. You will be stunned. You will be shook, as they say. You will be shook by the just the, the amazing things that people have designed using materia to come up with these amazing strategies in battle. It is awesome. From passive abilities of things that are just active on your character all the time, man, it's super good. You know what's not super good? Why are we seeing Sephiroth so early? I know why, but that doesn't mean I have to like it. You see Sephiroth in the first two hours too much. And you did not see Sephiroth at this point in the original. If Remake followed the original, you would not see Sephiroth as much as you see him in this first game. And I know, he's the big bad. How can you have Cloud? How can you have a full retail released 100-hour RPG, even though it's not really 100 hours, that's just the way I play it. How can you not have the main villain, the arch enemy of Cloud, show up in this $60 game that people are going to spend 40, 50 hours on? I get that. It's too early. It's too early. And you can, of course, discuss the fact that many Sephiroth appearances are Sephiroth clones. Spoilers. They are not the real Sephiroth. They are clones of him. Hojo experiments. Because Hojo is Sephiroth's dad. (laughs) Sorry to drop more knowledge on you like that. Gross. Hojo, you nasty. Hojo, you nasty. Papa Daddy. <laughs> Double. That's Dad Dad. Papa Daddy. What up, Papa Daddy? Getting some real plosives with that, I'm sure. Papa Daddy. But that sounds horrible. I apologize. Uh, Corey, I think, said it best. Um, I did not watch my good friends, My Life in Gaming, Corey and Try. They did a a deep discussion of Final Fantasy VII Remake and their thoughts. I did not watch it. I refused because I I didn't want to be influenced by anything. I hadn't finished the game, and uh, I knew I was going to do something about my thoughts on the game, so I wanted to wait. But Try did share with me how hilarious it was that Corey said they just couldn't keep Sephiroth in their pants. (laughs) And, And Corey nailed it because that, they, there is no sense of mystery as to the great Sephiroth this the best the most powerful soldier to ever go through Shinra's ranks this mysterious hero 
and he's all over the place. You're seeing him constantly. It should have been more subtle. Um, they should have played the long game. Maybe the game would not have hit as well. Maybe the ending would not have hit as well. And by ending, I mean the first of many upcoming endings because of the parts of Final Fantasy VII that we will be getting in remake form. I Again, totally understand why they did it, but it's not what I think they should have done. And in terms of the protection of the story and the respect of the way that the gravity of Sephiroth's appearances should be held, um, it was a mistake. And the final boss in Final Fantasy VII Remake, is it Motorball on the highway, like in the original? The big, crazy motor machine on the highway as you're escaping Midgar and you attack it? You hop off your bike, destroy it with your team, and then you look on as you leave and prepare to leave Midgar and enter the world map for the first time, the real world of Final Fantasy VII. No! <laughs> the motorball fight is nothing more than a minigame. Stupid. Um... What a waste. That fight was so great in the original. It was one of the more difficult battles in Midgar. It was the one that leaves you that leads you out. And it was reduced to a motorcycle minigame. The motorcycle minigame was my least favorite in Final Fantasy VII Remake of, of the mini games that you participated in. I was so happy that I could skip it when I played on hard mode because I just, it just, it's too much, too much of it. It wasn't fun to me. <sighs> I would have ra rather just had a race. Okay, some minor gripes. Let's get into some minor gripes because this is getting long. Materia. I love Materia. Initially, I was irritated that there was Materia that did not exist in the original. Deadly Dodge. Eh. I get it. They wanted to give you some new Materia because they couldn't give you all the Materia yet. This is only like 10 to 20% of the original game. So you can't get as many Materia combinations. And it's still a full-length game but only a piece of the story. So they couldn't just parse, they had to parse out what material you could get and to fill in the gaps of feeling like you needed new material, some new magic or ability to experience, they threw in some new material. That's fine. Um, I fell in love with the material system, really liked it. It does feel a little bit, there's not that many, but there's no material birth. And... Because of some of the ways that Materia works in Final Fantasy VII Remake, the magic crystal orbs that give you magic abilities or special techniques or passive functions or activated commands, they don't bear fruit. So in the original, when you would master a Materia, say you have ice and you, have, you start with ice one, <laughs> you level it up, by using it in battle, AP, it becomes Ice 2. Now you can do Ice 1 and Ice 2 magic. Ice 3 magic. Oh, this powerful Ice magic. And when it's mastered and maxed out, it poops out a baby. 
and you get another ice materia orb starting at the initial star level and then you can level that one up so if you have the patience and wherewithal to grind and grind like i do you could have an infinite number of any materia you want to an extent summon materia do not bear fruit in the same way <laughs> just kidding they do huh it all does it's crazy but in Final Fantasy VII Remake, they do not uh, give you new ones. So there are certain materia of which you will only have maybe one or two of, depending on how many new game pluses you go through and how many times you replay chapters. But even then, I found out, to my grave disappointment, even replaying the game on hard, you do not get additional materias from some of the very unique materias. That would be hidden in the game. So you, like, I think Magnify is one of them. And I was going to where the Magnify materia was, and it was just replaced with a Cure materia, a Restoring materia. Like, really? So they know I'm New Game Plus in it. They're not going to give me more than one or two. That was kind of disappointing. Didn't like that. Um, it's a shame. Summons were awesome they were so epic and hardcore and you could direct them to do actions the original game when you summoned a mythical creature it would do you would summon it once in battle at will as long as you had the magic points to do so if you had the mp you could summon any summon once in battle there, there were limits to how many times you could summon it depending on the level of that summon but you could do it more than once in any battle Okay, I could be fighting a Cactuar. I could be fighting a Cactuar. And I could cast Leviathan on it if I wanted to. Didn't matter. In this game, you cannot do that. My understanding, uh, which I still didn't 100% get, but summons only activate in what are considered mm, tough battles, which would be boss battles. So for the most part, summons only appear in boss battles. And that is lame. So I don't get to see my hard-earned summons as often as I would like. And even then, you're probably only going to be able to summon once in a boss battle. There's not going to be multiple summons showing up. That was disappointing. I like that they hang out on the battlefield and they do attacks... And then you can also use your ATB gauge to allow them to do their really powerful attacks. And then when their time is up and they leave, that's when they do their devastating attack that they are known for from the original game, which was the only thing they did in the original. I don't like that. And it was really disappointing for someone like me who did the pre-order bonuses. My pre-order bonuses, I couldn't use them whenever I wanted. I had Cactuar. I pre-ordered Final Fantasy VII Remake the way I did because I wanted that Cactuar DLC bonus materia so I could summon Cactuar in battle. I was like, man, I'm going to get in there. I'll be summoning Cactuar left and right. Nope, because you can't summon Cactuar unless you're in one of those intense battle situations or a boss battle. And Cactuar is not a powerful summon in Final Fantasy VII Remake. He's whatever. He wasn't in the original. He was not an original summon in Final Fantasy VII. So, come on. He just does a thousand needles. 
he is useless on a big nasty boss fight. He would have been perfect for a regular random encounter with several enemies. He could go in there and just be spying in everybody with his needles. Very disappointing. Very disappointing when it comes to summons. And now we have to talk about the ending. My biggest gripe. Whispers. <clears throat> the whispers. This comes into Jesse, and it comes into play with Biggs and Wedge. Zach. We'll talk about Zach. Uh, this is the last part because um, I really got to take a break. Maybe we'll delve deeper with a guest in the future about Final Fantasy VII Remake. Maybe discuss some things that did not get talked about today on Digitally Distracted. But it's time to talk about The Whispers. The Whispers are a, a presence in Final Fantasy VII Remake that do not exist in the original game. At first, when I saw the trailers and I saw these Harry Potter Dementor-looking things, I was nervous. I didn't like it then, and I didn't like it when I played the game, and I don't like it now. Despite the reason they're there, I don't like the way... I don't like that they use these whispers to do what they wanted to do, which we'll get into here very shortly. So whispers are these ghostly apparitions that start appearing in the game when things are getting real. The story is progressing in ways that aren't familiar to the original player. So, by all means, I should be a big fan of the Whispers because they're trying to keep the characters doing what they did in the original game. The whispers are whispers of fate, you learn. Originally, I thought the whispers were taking place of the black-robed men from the original Final Fantasy VII because they had the sort of grayish robe look to them. That was incorrect because the, the uh, experimented on former soldiers that are inside these black robes are in Final Fantasy VII Remake. You run into, I th believe, two of them. Three of them? At least three of them. One is in an apartment complex with you. <laughs> One is bothering children, young children, and creeping. Another one is being fake Sephiroth. And I think those are the, the main ones in Final Fantasy VII Remake that I recall. So the Whispers were not the, the black-robed clones of Sephiroth. Uh, or at least experimented on soldiers that, that sort of take his form. In the Japanese, the whispers are referred to as feelers. The feelers, which is worse, <laughs> I think. Whispers was a good good localization choice. The whispers uh, stop you from playing the game non-linearly. Linearly. The way that you want to play. Uh and the whispers are trying to keep you on track of the original story. They are they're not allowing you to make your own destiny. They are not allowing you to change your fate. And the whispers show up at key moments in the story and block you from doing certain things for good or for bad. 
When you first meet Aerith and you're escaping from the Turks, from Shinra, who are coming to take Aerith away, the Whispers show up, and at one point they save Aerith, the Whispered Robe people things, hop in front of Aerith when she's about to fall off a ledge and push her back up to Cloud. Um, she's very connected to the Whispers, which is where she doesn't let on that she knows more. She knows what's going on with these Whispers. She knows what's going on with the future, and so does Red 13. Red 13 has a taste of it, but him being um, where he's from, Cosmo Canyon, he ha- understands the way that the world works. So Red 13 is also more knowledgeable than he lets on. Um, but Aerith is just, just she's just being a punk about it. Not letting Cloud know, hey, uh, this is going to go poorly and we don't have a choice kind of a thing. At first, I didn't know that that's what was happening. I was like, what are these things doing? This is a stupid new addition. I don't like it. It's blocking pathways. It's weird. It doesn't fit with the story tonally. I hated it. I did not like the whispers. Conveniently, you kill them at the end of the game, so I'm hoping we'll never have to see them again. For better or for worse. Probably for me, for worse. Because the whispers affect the storyline. Remake. The subtitle remake in Final Fantasy VII Remake applies to the literal remaking of the story. The whispers are keeping things on track with the original storyline. It is very meta. Final Fantasy VII Remake is very meta. The base storyline outside of the original storyline that it's telling is that you are going off course of what happened in the original game. And the whispers are like, hey, no, things have to go this way. Meteor's coming. Sephiroth is coming. Things need to happen in a certain way. There are people that will die. There are people that will live. And we are going to keep that balance. And we are going to keep everything the same. If you go outside of that bubble, we are going to block your path and force you to follow the original storyline of the original game. To an extent. At least that's what I get the impression of. What they're doing. And when I finally realized that... um, I was uh, I was pissed. <laughs> My own pronunciation of that word. Uh, I know they want to. They want something to be a surprise. Because you got to think, this is it is a remake of a beloved game with a beloved story, a respected story. So to. Just do everything the same beat for beat that happened in the original Final Fantasy VII. For a veteran Final Fantasy VII-er, the storyline may not be as surprising to us. Someone new, they're going to get to enjoy it for the first time, and that's amazing. I think that's better. But instead, they're like, well, we want everybody to get something new just because... Because they didn't want to tell the same story. So their way around it, to respect, quote-unquote, to respect the original storyline material of the PlayStation game, the original PlayStation game. They're like, okay, we will acknowledge, we will acknowledge the original story of Final Fantasy VII. 
in the sense that we will show that these characters are not going to always follow the original story. And they're going to fight against that destiny. So we're saying, oh, what happened in the original Final Fantasy VII happened. But these characters in this timeline are pushing against fate in the form of these whispers. And they are making their own destiny for the future of Final Fantasy VII in Final Fantasy VII Remake. Why does everything want to be into the Spider-Verse now? DC is doing it with the Flash movie. DC did it with the CW. Crisis on Infinite Earths. Why does... Why does... (laughs) Franchises don't have to have a multiverse. Okay? A multiverse is an excuse to change everything without pissing anyone off excuse my mouth language (laughs) excuse my urination language it's this fan servicey thing that doesn't serve the fans at all i will just have a multiverse because then oh no no yeah what you love and what you care about it happens just like you want it to in this timeline in this other universe of Final Fantasy or Marvel or DC or Batman specifically. Your Keaton timeline exists. The the Michael Keaton Batman has his own timeline and it's not affected by anything else. But we also have this other timeline where Joker's Joaquin Phoenix, but not really. And he's th- three times the age of Bruce Wayne. It doesn't need to happen in every game. And they probably were like, oh, this is so original. But it's not. You're just doing your own version of a multiverse, and now you've perverted Final Fantasy VII with it. And I don't care for it, personally. And I know that it's a polarizing thing right now. There's people who are fine with it, and that's great if you can love it. Because ultimately, I loved Final Fantasy VII Remake. I enjoyed the experience. I loved what I got to do because it doesn't change the original. I still can go play Final Fantasy VII on PlayStation or the many re-releases that are out there of it, and it will not change. It's there. I can just play it and get that story the way that I feel it should be told. And at the same time, it feels disrespectful to do this when we wanted a remake. We wanted this game... We wanted the Final Fantasy VIII remastering of Final Fantasy VII, in a way. And that's here's the thing. There were so many story elements in Final Fantasy VII Remake that were brand new. You got to tell new stories within the main storyline of Final Fantasy VII's original story. Why did you have to change fate? Why did you have to change the main key story points? You can play with all of these new experimentations of of what happens in little little pockets of Midgar that we never got to see in the original. Characters we never got to meet. With Roche, we got this new guy, Roche, running around as Roche, Roche, Roche on his motorcycle. He's not he didn't exist in the original. 
and he was fine. He was a fan favorite. I thought he was annoying, but people loved him, and apparently he's coming back in part two. But his appearances did not affect the main points in the storyline of the original. So why did you need whispers? You didn't need the whispers. You did not need this thing where they've defeated the whispers. The true final boss of Final Fantasy VII Remake are the whispers. They come together as these fate creatures, these gigantic, monstrous creatures that you kill so that you can make your own fate and make your own destiny. Implying that the story is going to continue in a different way and go off the beaten path of Final Fantasy's original story, Final Fantasy VII's original story. And it's unnecessary. Because if you wanted to tell unique and new stories, make Final Fantasy XVI and tell your story there. Or tell your new stories within Final Fantasy VII's expanded universe. Because you have this expanded world this huge world that you can develop and put detail in that you never were able to do before outside of the compilation of Final Fantasy VII with Crisis Core and Dirge of Cerberus. That's why I'm not okay with the way Final Fantasy VII's remake of the story was dealt with. Because it's not a remade version of Final Fantasy VII's original game. It is a remake of the Final Fantasy VII story because the characters meta knew the Whispers wanted them to stay on script and they are stubborn. The characters were stubborn. Another big spoiler, towards the end of the game, Barrett is killed which does not happen in the original. Barrett does not die in Final Fantasy VII, ever. He gets stabbed through the chest. But the Whispers restore him to life, meaning that their actions didn't matter because what was going to happen was going to happen. That I didn't care for. And that's when I, I was like trying to be okay with the Whispers. But then when they just brought Barrett back to life just because it's the story and they wanted to force that down your throat that nothing you know never know what's going to happen now everybody's safe and no one's safe that's when i was i was like no no i should see president president shinra should be plopped over his desk with a katana in his stomach i should have followed a trail of blood to his office. I was so excited because I knew that moment was close. And I was like, there's going to be a trail of blood. There's going to be a trail of blood that leads. And Sephiroth was here. He killed President Shinra. Like in the original. Nope. Goo. Goo. I got a bunch of purple goo. Glistening, glittery purple goo. I followed someone's purple snot trail to President Shinra's office where he was hanging off the side of a building. Hmm. Because they wanted to do their own thing. 
And it's funny because it sounds like I hated it. I loved Final Fantasy VII Remake. It was great. But I care so much about the original story that I feel like it was unnecessary. They could have expanded and written their own tales. They did. They wrote their own little stories in the game. Chocobo Sam. Chocobo Sam. A lot like Cowboy Crutches, personally. Hmm. Yeah. So outside of the Whispers situation, I loved the story. I thought it was great. They fleshed things out. Don Corneo, hilarious and nasty. So gross. But that really messed things up. You defeat the Whispers, though, after Motorball, as you're entering the highway, the remaining bits of the highway. You defeat the Whispers, and then Sephiroth shows up for you to fight, and then he gets away. And you're determined because Sephiroth is out there and you're going to find him. You're going you're gonna to search the planet for Sephiroth. Just like in the original when you leave Midgar. But you hadn't had a major boss battle with Sephiroth. Sephiroth is this mysterious warrior. Ex-soldier like you think you are. And your mission is to hunt him down. He killed the president off-screen. Mystery. But that's lost because you you fight him. And this is the one other major problem with Final Fantasy VII Remake. How do you scale the remaining parts of Final Fantasy VII Remake? This is part one. Part two will not be the last part. There is no way. My prediction is we will have four Final Fantasy VII remakes. So it will be four parts. Part one, we have Midgar. Part two, I think, will lead from Calm, which is the city, the town that you go to from Midgar. I think it will go from Calm to the death of Aerith. And that seems like a lot, but I think part two is going to end when Aerith dies, assuming they don't get silly and she survives. That would be a huge mistake and disrespectful to the character's arc. Sephiroth needs to kill Aerith, unfortunately. And here's the problem with scale. How can Sephiroth easily kill Aerith when we just decimated him at the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake Part One? We fought giant, godlike whisper creatures. The final battle in Final Fantasy VII Remake is insane. It's the level of boss battle that should have happened at the end of Part 4 of Final Fantasy VII Remake. It's huge. How in the world, how in the F, how in the H, can you scale the remainder of Final Fantasy VII? in this remake form the next big baddie (laughs) the next big baddie that you are supposed to be afraid of in Final Fantasy 7 is a big snake think about that a big snake the Midgar Zalem outside of Midgar is a marsh and living in that marsh is a gigantic 
gigantic snake cobra thing called the Midgar Zalem. Huge. Menacing. It is so scary that Cloud and his party cannot traverse the swamp to the cave that they need to get to on foot. They can't traverse it because if you run into the Midgar Zalem, 99% of the time it will kill your party. You will not survive it. That was the intention. Unless you're an insane power leveler who spent hours and hours grinding, which would take you a long time, you could maybe kill Midgar Zalem that early in the game. But it is very, very unlikely. And the intention of the story is that you are afraid of Midgar Zalem, the snake, and you cannot kill it. So you must get a chocobo and ride a chocobo across the swamp to reach the cave and avoid the snake. Because you can see the shadow of the snake in the swamp. So you have to just very quickly take the chocobo. Because walking across the swamp, you're too slow. It will touch you. And as soon as it touches you, you are in battle. How are you supposed to be afraid of Midgar Zalem when you could technically have mastered Materia? You could have Bahamut as a summon. You could be level 50. You could have 9,999 HP. I do in my game because I maxed out my level, which the level cap was 50. Level 50 and you're afraid of Midgar Zalem? Will they ignore Midgar Zalem? I don't know. How are the future boss battles supposed to be intimidating after fighting this whisper creature? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to be like a 10 level cap where you start, you can load your data from the previous game. If you can't load your data from the previous Final Fantasy VII Remake into Part 2, that is a huge mistake because it makes all of the work you've done and the experience of that game worthless. You don't, if you, if you don't have to play Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 1 to play Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 2, then why did you break it up into stories? That's stupid. So they're going to have to either scale things crazy where the max level will lead you to where you can have 99,999 HP instead of a cap of 9,999. Or they're going to have to do some weird thing where they just power level everything. I don't know. I, it's going to be ridiculous to be afraid of some of the next sets of bosses because you are not at end game bosses at that point in the storyline. If Yuffie is optional, which I highly doubt she will be, Yuffie and Vincent will likely be official written-in canon characters for this for this remake. If you are to find Yuffie the same way and you run into Yuffie and you have a battle with Yuffie, it's going to be a joke. You'll one-hit kill everything if the power that you've leveled to translates into part two. And that's a huge mistake. You are overpowered for the point in the storyline remake part one ends that's my biggest gripe right now outside of the story itself the the leveling aspect of how powerful you are i get they tried to make a full game they don't want you to feel weak at the end how are you going to scale that i want to know what is the world map going to look like when you leave midgar will it be an open world map i highly doubt it i predict 
it will be a linear path to each area, which will suck, a la Final Fantasy X, where there is no overarching world map to explore. Or maybe they will surprise me. I would love to be surprised with a fleshed out open world map leading to each town. You literally walk there. Um, but what I think will happen is it will fade out and fade up. I think it's like, well, we have to make our way to calm. And then it will imply that time has passed and you've reached calm. And you'll be, you'll just, you'll walk into the entrance to that town. And maybe from that town it will connect to some other areas. But I have a feeling it's going to do a lot of that. Unless they have a legit open world experience like Final Fantasy XV. However, Final Fantasy XV's open world map was awesome, but it was mostly highways. Driving. You didn't walk anywhere. Final Fantasy VII, you got to do a lot of walking. You're not hopping into a lot of cars in Final Fantasy VII. So to walk everywhere would be difficult. And Final Fantasy XV's open world was barren. It was so much desert and just random forest with the occasional shack. I don't want that to happen to Final Fantasy VII Remake. So in the future, I'd love to see them stay more on track with the story and and tell their own stories within the expansion of these areas that they can get into now. Um, I don't know if they're going to go back on their changing of fate with the killing of the Whispers and, and things will be another universe. But the reason that I think they can't it's because at the very end of the game after Sephiroth has been defeated for now, Zack is shown to be alive. For those of you who don't know and for some reason have toughed it out through this very, very long, digitally distracted, Zack Fair is the real ex-soldier that experienced those things Cloud talked about. Cloud's life is a lie. Cloud thinks... He was a soldier. Cloud was never good enough to be soldier. He's not ex-soldier. He never got there. Zack, his buddy, kind of, was the ex-soldier in a way. He kind of became an ex-soldier towards the end of his life. And Zack died saving and protecting Cloud. And after being experimented on, Cloud's mind was so distorted he rebuilt his life around that of Zack's and the things that happened to Zack as a soldier he took that persona he took Zack's sword that's Zack's sword that was Zack's uniform soldier uniform but that was actually Zack and you learn that late 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 in Final Fantasy 7 in the original game, that Cloud's life is, he was a phony. He was never good enough. He wasn't strong enough to be soldier. But his mind was warped by these experiments Shinra did, and he took on the persona of Zack, who died protecting him. The Shinra army decimated him. Bullets on bullets. And he died protecting Cloud. But at the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake, it is implied that the Whispers didn't keep that part of the story true in some alternate timeline. The implication is that Zack survived in some other alternate timeline. It's pretty clear from what I've read 
that was intentional, that there is a living Zach in some other universe where he and Cloud got away together, not Cloud on his own. The main timeline is Zach died, Cloud took his took his persona. Having Zach alive ruins so much about Cloud's past, and I don't want Cloud running into Zach in Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two. I don't want to see it, but it's certainly heavily implied that that's going to happen. So who knows? The Flash is going to show up. He's going to combine timelines, and everybody's, you know, it's going to be crazy. Dine will still be alive, and Barrett will jump off a cliff, and Dine will be the new Barrett. I don't know. That's a deep cut for the Final Fantasy VII fans out there. I'm done. I'm done. That's enough for now. Final Fantasy VII Remake in less than two hours. How about that? How could I have made a video about this? How? Tell me. How could I do it? Time for some Q&A. Let's finish up with Q&A. On Twitter, literally today, I asked on Twitter to leave me some questions because I was about to film this, and here we are. Here we are. Um... I'm looking at them live. Hopefully no one leaves anymore as we get into this. Okay, looks like we got about 10 questions. So I'm going to zoom through them. Let's see if we can get it done before two-hour mark, the two-hour mark. (coughs) Okay, Tiger Castle. Tiger Castle on Twitter said, Who do you think will or won't be playable in Part 2? of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Will they save some for Part 3? Do they dare add a new character into the mix? If they add a new party member, I how dare them? I don't want that. Keep it to the standard party. We don't. I don't want Roche to become a party member. I don't want to control that guy. Get him out of my face. I know everybody loves him. I didn't care for the fella. He was fine outside of the main story. Um, I think I think we're gonna Yuffie it up. I think um, I don't. I think we'll get to Yuffie. Red Thirteen is obviously gonna be major because uh, you've already got Red Thirteen now, and Red Thirteen should now be controllable. It was weird that Red Thirteen was the side character, but obviously I get it. They ran out of time. They didn't want to introduce a whole new character's system of control at the end of the game. But Red 13 will be the starter character that you'll be learning how to use and control in the beginning of uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 2. And then I think we'll get Yuffie. And I think Kate Sith's going to show up. We we saw a hint of Kate She, excuse me. Uh, I will call him Kate Sith until I am, am splayed on a table. I, I can't say Kate She. Kat She, I don't like his real pronunciation. Kate Sith is his name. Um, but we saw him upset about the plate falling. For those of you who don't know, Kate Sith is a robot controlled by Reeve who works for Shinra. They don't reveal that directly in Remake, but they imply it because you see Kate Sith and Reeve is also upset about the plate falling. So it makes sense. So we'll see him at the Gold Saucer, because Gold Saucer will be in Final Fantasy VII Remake Part Two. I guarantee it. But no, I don't. I hope they don't add any new characters, Tiger Castle. Colin said, 
Have you ever played the Trails games? As someone who is a fan of Suikoden for its long connected story, you might like these games. I've picked up, I have the first Trails of Cold Steel, 1, 2, and 3, and, uh, or no, 1 and 2. I have 1 and 2 uh, for PS3. I have not played them, but I have them. Uh, I thought you could name the main character. I don't, I don't think you can. <laughs> I hate I hate that that's my answer. Uh, David, good name, DB Storm Shadow. David said, does Cloud use more or less hair product in the remake than the original? I'm going to go less. That's actually a good question. Not a joke. That's serious. Uh, he uses less. It's more natural and flowy. Whereas in the original, the ridiculousness of it. I mean, I got him. He's over here. He's over here. Should, sh dare I snag him? Dare I snag him? No, I'm not going to snag him. not going to do it. Final Fantasy VII original. Way more hair product because they were legit, legitimately spiky-haired freak. In this one, it's almost believably feathered hair for Final Fantasy VII Remake. So less hair product now. And it's interesting because Cloud sleeps in his clothes and armor and <laughs> bangles on top of the sheets and blankets when he sleeps in his apartment. And somehow his hair still looks perfect every morning. Explain that. So maybe he doesn't use any hair product in FF7 Remake. Scepter Sever. How do you feel about Square Enix releasing the game in multiple episodes? The full game might not be realized for years to come. Some might call part one bloated. I agree that it's bloated, but it wasn't necessarily bloated in a way that offended me. Um, it would have offended me less if they used that bloat to tell their bonus stories that they wanted to tell, their original stories and characters, instead of changing the main storyline. How dare they? I, from the beginning, was very against the multiple stories idea, but I get it. Final Fantasy VII itself is a big world, and it's worth exploring. So I think they had to do it to tell the story in a way that would be fun for newbies and originals. Because if it was beat for beat the exact same story moment to moment, I probably wouldn't enjoy it as much because there would be nothing new for me. Outside of that new stupid ending, there was plenty of new content for a long-time hardcore fan of Final Fantasy VII. There was no need to change the main storyline. I got enough new stuff in the expanded parts of this first episode. I'm okay with it if it doesn't go more than four parts. Three would be great. If they could tell this story in three, think three discs. Disc one, disc two, disc three. I'm fine with that. Though they cut it short for it to be disc one for part one. Next up, Gaiden, my man Gaiden, favorite moment in the game. Was there any changes that you enjoyed? Favorite moment in the game? Um, the interactions with Jesse. Oh no, Antifa too. Don Cornero's Cornero. Don Corneo's mansion. Um, I really enjoyed that whole chapter of the lead up to that. What was that chapter nine? I don't, I'm trying to think. I think it's chapter nine. But the whole chapter in Walmart. Walmart was great. What a fun time in Walmart. Um, I really enjoyed um, the Coliseum. 
and the Hell House was so fun. Um, but I really, I really liked Walmart a lot. It was nice to see that realized as this full fledged, fleshed out area. Um, I was a big fan of that. Loved, loved Walmart. And the Honey Bee Inn. Um, I was okay with the changes to the Honey Bee Inn. I get it. They were trying to keep it uh, less questionable than the original. The originals, I mean, that's like, I mean, that's like mature rated level. The original game to an extent. Um, but no, I, I, in, there, there were changes that I liked. Tifa, uh, Tifa's just personality, the way that they handled her. Again, I loved it. I thought that was great. Um, big fan of that. So hope that answers your question, Gaiden. John PV, how did you feel about some dungeons going from a one or two screen event to a couple hours? I'm looking at you, Train Graveyard. <laughs> uh, also, thoughts on the amount of regular enemies that were turned into boss fights. I get it. They had to pad it out. I mean, it, we go back to the bloating that uh, Scepter Sever pointed out. Um, yeah, th- they kind of bloated it with those regular enemies kind of becoming boss fights, you know? If there's one thing I always dreamed was a boss fight, it was a hedgehog pie. <laughs> what is that all about? Uh, I get it. And, the, and some of the machinery that became these boss fights. Um, I was okay with it because it gave me more opportunities to use those summons that you could only use in boss fights. So for that reason, I was okay. There was not as much random encounter action as I would have liked. I was super mad. <laughs> I was super mad in the beginning of the game that the only place I could do random encounters, if you want to call them random, because they're not, they're they're just they just refresh. They're respawning encounters, not random encounters respawning encounters there are no random encounters in this game which is uh which is lame um but in the the little the the scrapyard in the in the beginning of the game that's like the only area you can grind in the beginning and yeah you're darn right i grinded grounded i ground hard (laughs) um uh, the train graveyard was annoying absolutely annoying and even more annoying because it led up to one of my most depressing parts of the game when the plate fell um because that's right before the plate attack i believe if i recall correctly uh the train graveyard i hated the train graveyard in the original game so to take that and expand upon it more was very disappointing so i think the jump the jump in dungeons from it was too fast it should have been an easier jump in how long the dungeons were and yeah i think the train graveyard is great a great terrible example of how you should do a dungeon it was it was slow uh it wasn't particularly fun but i will say the boss fight at the end of the train graveyard was very fun in the control room that was nuts that was a nuts boss fight so it was worth it for the big boss fight but the lead up to it was just too much it was too much i agree i'm assuming that's what you're saying my boy Leon said, what are your thoughts on the ending and where do you see the story going in comparison to the original narrative? I think they're going to play with it too much. And uh, I think you and I, Leon, line up. I think we're, we think the same um, when it comes to the ending. Because I, I, I believe you said that it disrespects things um, from the original. And I get that. I totally get that. So I definitely, have, if you've listened to this point, I've answered that question about the ending. And I hope you uh, at least appreciate what I had to say about it. Um, Toy Galaxy shout out to Toy Galaxy they said 
how do I get Cloud to put a baby in me? Well, it's complicated. You have to, uh, there's several years of courting, um, and then you have to get married first. That's how that works. I don't know if you know that. Rich Retro responded to Toy Galaxy himself and said, that's his final limit break. You have to beat the game on ultra hard. <laughs> well, it does have to be hard. Let's take a look. Our last question from my favorite Daniel. <laughs> Dan Greenberg. Daniel Greenberg, my man. Check him out on Twitch. Do you feel that the change in mechanics from turn-based ATB to a hybrid of real-time action and supplemental menus impacted your consumption of the plot, your opinion of the characters, or at least the experiential narrative tacked on through play? As I said initially, uh, I thought it was going to cause issues for me, um, but it, it really is. It, I mean, viewer of the show turned me on to that it really kind of is turn-based and i liked it and the transition from battle to continuing of the story i think made it easier to consume the plot to answer your question because you'd have conversations as you're moving through a dungeon fighting enemies and then you're right back into continuing it's not that go to another screen get your experience have your victory fanfare music and to me, that is one of the biggest losses to the lack of random encounters is we don't get victory fanfare music. Where's my victory fanfare? Final Fantasy VII has one of the most funky uh, fanfare themes of all time. And I think you only get it after squatting. I think from squatting, you get to hear it. The squats and the pull-ups is the only time you get to hear the victory fanfare theme to an extent. So I hope that answers your questions. Thank you so much for the Q&A. Double check, make sure. Let me refresh. All right, we're good. I think I got most of them. Thanks for your questions on the Twitter. I know it was very last minute. Thank you so much for putting up with me. And this has been a record, a record digitally distracted episode, but it's Final Fantasy VII, and any discussion of Final Fantasy VII deserves it, even if it is a remake. So I look forward to seeing what Final Fantasy VII Remake Part 2 looks like as we get more information. If you want to hear more about Final Fantasy VII Remake, let me know. If you have questions or topics that you want to hear, maybe you should let me know on Twitter. You could also leave a comment on the podcast because this is also a podcast in audio format. You can look that up on your podcast platform of choice. We are on the Apple. It's on the Podbean. It's on the Stitcher. Google. It's out there. If there's a podcast platform, Spotify, find it, subscribe to it. If you want to just listen with your ears and not listen with your eyeballs, you can do that. So that's it. I'm Game Dave, and thank you so, so much for getting digitally distracted with me today.